And I kind of, I didn't realize until actually doing World's Toughest Mudder this past year, I realized like this was a dream of mine five years ago. And it took every bit of that progression through the past five years to where I went into World's Toughest Mudder this past year, um, knowing that I could make it 24 hours um, and fully, also fully knowing that it was completely possible to do 100 miles. And that was my plan. Um, and so it's actually a really like enjoyable and satisfying race, knowing that I was well prepared. Like I knew what to eat. I knew what, how to pace myself. I knew how to dress and just got to like really, you know, by the end of it, it was like, wow, this, like it all makes sense. Like this all kind of was moving towards this in the end. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for optimizing not only your performance, but also your habits and routines as well. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Today, I have the pleasure of having on Chris Rogalowski. She's an obstacle course racer, high rocks competitor, and just overall ultimate athlete based out of Colorado. She's won the 2022 High Rocks World Championships and then most recently um, set a big record as being the first woman to reach 100 miles in the 2022 World's Toughest Mudder back in November. Give me a mouthful, a lot of accomplishments to lay out there. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing good. So as I was like preparing for this, uh, you know, interview and getting to know you more, uh, I I realized you've, you've been doing a shit ton of uh endurance races for years now i was looking through an ultra sign up and i was like sheesh it's a lot of races to uh to go through i yeah i found ultras i only started running about um just over five years ago now i think and i found the ultra scene pretty quickly and dived in pretty deep so it's it's one of those scenes where i feel like yeah once you get dragged into those like more fun interesting races because i don't don't know if you're like me but like road racing is like one thing and it's you know, it has its, it, it still has some exciting, interesting elements to it. But when you get out to, you know, I, I haven't done obstacle course races per se, but, you know, just seeing them, they seem a lot more exciting because there's a lot more going on. And then with trail races specifically, which I have done, you know, you have the scenery, you have, I feel like your your mind is a lot more activated because you're thinking about the roots and the elevation. There's so much going on rather than just a constant, like flat elevation road thing. You know what I'm going or what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I actually have not done much road racing at all. Um, yeah. I got into it all through Spartan and then, yeah, that, uh, very easily translated over to the trail side of things. So, yeah. So walk me and, through, I guess, oh no, go ahead. What were you going to say? <clears throat> I was going to say part of me, like wants to kind of try the road scene, but every time I think about <laughs> it, I'm like, eh, it doesn't look that interesting actually. Yeah. I feel like it'll just feel like pale in comparison, but, uh, with endurance sports overall, how did you, I guess, get your start with it? You mentioned you only started running like five years ago, but I guess, did you have some kind of athletic base before that, that led you into Spartan races? Or I guess, like, where does your timeline go from, you know, the origins to now? Um, I have no athletic base or background before I tried a, um, a Tough Mudder was the first one that I tried in, mm-hmm. I guess, like summer of 2016. And then end of that year, I did a Spartan and 2017 then i was like i want to do a few more spartans did a few more found the competitive side of that yeah um but before i started doing these i mean even when i ran the tough mutter it was a 12 mile and i had never run more than like three miles ever um and i yeah just not a runner but i like went out there tried it out and then i realized you know being out here on the trails is really fun the obstacles is fun it was a good mix and it was like i I could do a few more of these so and then i 
I was going to say, yeah. what, what, what made you think, okay, if you've never ran, you know, more than three miles before, like what, what kind of drew you into doing it? Was it just, you knew somebody that was getting into it or it just seemed exciting? You just jumped into it and like, what kind of training did you do in preparation for it? Um, a bunch of my friends had been doing them and okay. I thought that looked really neat. Um, and they also said it was really challenging and really difficult. So yeah. my thought was, well, I kind of want to try it then. Um, yeah. Training wise, I mean, I don't come from any kind of an athletic background, so I am still learning the concept of like training and building into stuff and all that. Um, I did like I went running a few extra times, but a lot of it was just, um, you know, I could walk the whole thing and get through it was kind of my thought. Um, and I did it with my sisters. So it was like very low pressure. Just yeah. go have fun and see what it's like. Um, yeah. I will say a lot of, it seems to me that uh, Tough Mudders <clears throat> or just obstacle course race events in general, do you have to have this more like community or friend element to it? I feel like a lot of people will like coerce their friends to kind of get involved in this thing rather than if I go say, or you said, hey, you know, come run a 50K with me through, you know, mountainous terrain or something like that. Like, yeah, you know, not, not too many people are going to take you up on that. But with a, your first 50-mile race, as I was scanning through um, your life's history on Ultra Sign Up, what drew you into that? Because that's a big step up, especially, you know, even if you've done a lot of Spartan races and Tough Mudders in the past, it's, it's definitely a, a much longer event. So what was your attitude going into that? Um, by the end of 2017, I found out that there was a Spartan Ultra, or okay. they called it an Ultra Beast at the time. So it was two loops of the Beast course that ended up being read at a 50K. Mm-hmm. And... I thought that sounds crazy, but I wanted to give it a try. And I figured again, like I could walk it and finish underneath the time gap. Um, so I did that at the end of 2017. And once I'd hit that, if I can do 30 miles, maybe I could do 50. So yeah. that was, it was a pretty, like by the next spring, I was ready to try a 50 miler. Gotcha. Um, so inform me a little bit, cause I, I, for years, obviously I've seen people do Spartan race and this and that. What is the, is there a consistent format with those races or how are they broken down? Um, there's four basic distances. So you have a three mile or sorry, a 5k, which is three mile, a 5k, a 10k, and then a half marathon distance. And then the other, the fourth distance is, um, basically double plus some it's right at a 50k is their ultra. Okay. So there's four basic distances. Um, the format within those races are different every time, which I I find very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just a, depending on where they are, like um, how they can map out the course, it's a certain okay. assortment of trail running and obstacles. So there like, is go ahead. there is supposed to be like an approximate number of obstacles for each distance. Okay. I kind of forget what those numbers are. But yeah. So do you have any insight as far as like the obstacles you're going to uh, go through before you actually start the race? Or is it kind of like open-ended? Um, they now release course maps, I think the week of the race. Okay. Um, and there's a typical... Like their multi-rig, which is like their version of monkey bars. The multi-rig mm-hmm. is slightly like in the very shortest distance, it's just rings. In the middle distance, it's rings and a like bar that you have to traverse across. Mm-hmm. And then in the longer distance. So there are things you can't expect. All the obstacles that they have, they've had for three to five years. So everybody's yeah. pretty familiar with them. But it's not until like the week before that they put out the course map and you can actually kind of see where it is uh, yeah. along, you know, throughout the course. So with yeah. all the different kind of event styles and I, I guess sports in a sense that you do, how do, how do you balance them? And, and what is, if there is a like primary focused event that you, or sport that you focus on? 
I would say at different times of the year, I focus slightly on different things. So throughout the winter and early spring, I focus a lot more on strength and high rocks. And through the summer, um, I do a lot of ultras. Mm -hmm. Uh, The hundred milers is my kind of, I like my summer of hundreds now. Um, And then I find that the obstacle course races, like as long as I am running and maintaining a basic level of strength, I can just kind of pop them whenever. So I would say I sprinkle those in throughout whenever. Um, But no, there's not really any specific focus. Um, My, my theory is that like fitness is fitness and it carries over. And as long as I stay strong, like as long as I keep covering all the bases, my goal is to be able to be able to give a pretty solid effort at anything I decide to do. Yeah. I like that. It's kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but his name is Jacob Hepner. He's a old CrossFit competitor. And now he's doing a lot of, uh, it's called tactical games. It's kind of, it, it almost reminds a little bit of like a, a mix between, um, firearm and shooting sports, but then also with like CrossFit and almost like a little bit of obstacle course races mixed in as well. They do a lot of sandbags and yoke carries and sled pushes again, with also some like precision shooting mixed in. But he talked about how he views fitness as again, that universal uh, ability to where, you know, you're not trying to just be, have that specificity for only CrossFit or only double unders or only, you know, your Olympic lifts, but you do have this well-balanced space that you can just pop into events like you mentioned and have good success with it and that that's definitely what it seems like and to be fair a lot of these events that you do or different sports you do do feed into each other right with having a good strength base having good metabolic conditioning then obviously having that long uh aerobic engine to go those extreme long distances as well i guess what what drew you into some of these because i noticed a few hundred miles you've done recently you just did leadville for the first time this past year right the hundred miler mm-hmm. what i guess excited you about getting into that did you get in off lottery or did you uh get the points or or qualify for it i qualified for that one um gotcha. this past summer i probably right when i started hearing about 100 or no probably a year into 100 milers um i heard about this they call it the grand slam of ultra running and yeah. you basically take like four out of the five biggest oldest races so that was a part of that um Gotcha. And yeah, Leadville was the first one that I got into. I qualified to a race in Texas at the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. And once I got into that one, it was like, okay, like, I think this can happen. Um, it's pretty easy to get into the two East Coast ones. And then Wasatch, if you get yeah. into the other three, they'll let you in. So yeah. Um, but I found out Leadville is one of my all time favorite races. And I would run yeah. it every year if I could. So yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like being a uh, could, where'd you move from for uh, into Colorado from? I moved from Texas. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like it's, it's like a, uh, natural coming of age or, or, uh, what do you call it? You, you got to pay that tribute, I guess, to Leadville and run it. If you, yeah, uh, if you get the chance, my, right. <laughs> my home state race, like that's the exactly. home, home race. But yeah. And side note, actually speaking about the grand slam, a, a friend of mine, Jeremy Miller, and I've had him on the, the podcast actually twice, but he, he filmed, he did this whole documentary. If you look up, um, I think it's called Chasing 400. It's like a Grand Slam. It's following this runner, basically, uh, that did the whole Grand Slam. I watched that. Yeah, so, well, perfect. Yeah. Ties in. Ties yeah. in. Uh, wh- one interesting race, too, that I, I noticed you did was, uh, I might pronounce it wrong, correct me if, if I uh, do, but the Three Days of Salomo. Three and Days that, of Salomo, yeah. Salomo, yeah. So it was that your first stage race, and how, how have you... How did you like a stage race? Because it's obviously a different format than, you know, a one-day kind of go-for-it event. I loved it. That was my first stage race. Um, I think it was a 50K the first day, 50 miler the second day, 20K the last day. 
Um, And to me, it was kind of the perfect weekend. Um, They have a really neat setup there where everybody can kind of camp on site. And I loved it. Uh, You get up, you run all day, you come back, you like eat food and sleep and you get up and do the same thing the next day. Um, (laughs) I loved it. I would do. Yeah, that was my first experience with that. And um, I don't I mean, every race is different. This was a really, really neat race set up and venue and everything Um, was, was really neat. I feel like you'd like a guy I had on the podcast very recently, and I followed for a while. He's this uh, filmmaker and trail runner out of Canada, mm-hmm. um, Jeff Pelletier. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong every time, but anyway, he has done a lot of cool stage, rage, stage races with this organization called Racing the Planet. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they have a lot of these races in um, really unique, kind of secluded places that you wouldn't traditionally go to. Like they have one in Namibia, which is this. Um, area in a desert in Africa they have one in Georgia the country and a bunch of these different places and they have these like cool stage races so it just made me think of those I was like if you enjoyed that format you'd probably enjoy those uh those more difficult ones or those wilder ones I should look into it I'd go to Georgia for a stage race (laughs) exactly it's that's the thing with trail running right it's a good excuse to to visit a place you you wouldn't normally head to yeah so and I I feel yeah, like there's no better way to see a new place than by running 100 miles. Like, exactly, it's the best you, experience you can get. You get to head up the mountains, go through these odd terrains, yeah, f- figure it out. So when it comes to the the tough mutter you just did in November, I guess walk me through because I was reading up on it a little bit, and you know I I think in your caption you mentioned it was something you were aiming for for years now. So I guess walk me through what made you want to set that, that record and reach a hundred miles within that, that format within the tough mutter and, uh, yeah, what that preparation go through? Um, yeah, the first year that I started, so five years ago when I started doing obstacle course races, um, the, one of the better endurance athletes at the time was Rhea Coble and she, mm-hmm. I, so that was the first, um, world's toughest mother that I saw. She won the first world's toughest mother that I saw mm-hmm. and I kind of followed that. And I thought to myself like, this is really crazy, but this seems like kind of the pinnacle of the most difficult, challenging, but fun race mm-hmm. that there could be, um, to do 20. I mean, at, and at that time I hadn't done any ultras. I hadn't, or I'd done one fifty K that was it. Mm-hmm. My first 50 K. Um, but I kind of like it, it definitely kind of stuck in my head is like, this looks really, really difficult. Um, so the following year I signed up to do, um, Tough Mudder does like several different versions of their endurance races. So they have mm-hmm. like a 12 hour overnight one. So I signed up for that and I was like, I'm going to qualify. I want to go do World's Devast Mudder. And I had no idea what I was doing. I went into, <laughs> I ran the 10 mile race earlier in the day. Yeah. Tried to rest some and then went into the night. Um, there was just so much I didn't know about the race period. I didn't know anything about dressing. It ended up being like cold, wet uh, weather, which yeah. it always is. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I made it several laps, ended up like dipping out halfway through the night and was like, this is just way harder than I signed up for. Yeah. Um, and after that, um, kind of put it away for a bit where I was like, okay, that's a lot more than I anticipated. Like I kind of figured, okay, do 12 hours and I'll be ready for 24. And I was like, there's no way, like I can't do 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, there's no way I can do 12 hours. I kind of put it away and just went to like the regular racing. I was getting better at like all the different shorter distances. Um, I did my first hundred miler and followed that quickly with, um, I think I did, I did 100 miler the next year I did three and then the year after that, I did four. Was that to kind of build up um, the confidence to eventually do the 100-mile in that format? 
Or just, I will, it just no. happened that way? I think okay. I completely dismissed it and was just, I found the 100 miler and I love 100 miles. Um, yeah. So I just like went straight to that. It wasn't until last year that I watched World's Toughest Mudder again, or sorry, 2021. Uh-huh. And I thought, okay, I really want to do it. Also, last year it was in Vegas. It was warm. People didn't have to wear wetsuits. <laughs> like, and I was like, okay. More like, your style. Yeah, now that I've done several hundred milers, I've raced 24 hours. Like, I know what this, like, I really want to go and give that a shot. So Mm -hmm. this year, or this past year, I was planning to do the Spartan Ultra Championships, which is another 24-hour race, and then do the World's Toughest Mudder 24 hours. Um, The Spartan ended up canceling theirs, but yeah, this was finally, and I kind of, I didn't realize until actually doing World's Toughest Mudder this past year, I realized like this was a dream of mine five years ago and it took mm. every bit of that progression through the past five years to where I went into world's toughest matter this past year, um, knowing that I could make it 24 hours, um, and fully also fully knowing that it was completely possible to do a hundred miles. And that was my plan. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was actually a really like enjoyable and satisfying race knowing that I was well-prepared. Like I knew what to eat. I knew what, how to pace myself. Mm-hmm. I knew how to dress and just got to like really you know by the end of it it was like wow this like it all makes sense like this all kind of was moving towards did it almost feel like not as much a a surprise or i don't know you already felt like you accomplished it before you actually crossed the finish line like you know as you were as you were deep into the race you felt like yes and no um yeah by 50 miles i knew i was gonna do it um okay but it was still, you know, I mean, the last lap, the last mile, realizing that it's actually happening. I knew yeah. by sunrise the second day that I had it. Um, but it's still a really neat, like, moment of realization. Like, that last lap, that last mile, when you're like, this is it. Like, I'm actually doing it. Um, yeah. No, I, I get that. So, like, two, two things that made me think about my own personal experiences was, one, uh, you know, like a long-term goal for me that I've set out like two years ago was eventually doing a hundred mile race. And I had that same kind of experience in the past where like a year ago I had did before I did my first 50 miler in October. So it was like a year and a half ago. I did uh, like a little like makeshift 50 K and like a, uh, a trail in Virginia. And I had that same experience for like 20 miles in. I was like, I feel like just beaten and broken. And granted it was like a heat index, like 113. It was like a, a poorly planned day to try and do something stupid. But uh, I had that same experience where I'm like, man, if this is what, you know, 20 miles feels like or my past 50 miles, this is what 50 miles feel like, how am I ever going to do 100 miles? But it is that, you know, it's it's all perspective because once you're actually out there, you, you know, you always find a way to fight through like you, you, what you think is your 100%. It's not really right your 100%. And then another thing, you know, touching on the inevitability inevitability of it was I had that same experience a little bit on a much less impressive extent to... I was coming through a last aid station on my 50 mile race. And at 40 miles, I, was, I felt like broken, beat up. I was worried about missing like a cutoff time. Um, but at that point, I realized, okay, I had like nine, nine miles left. And I kind of got this like newfound surge of energy and this like determination to just keep going. And if I just pushed hard these last like six miles, I could kind of cruise the last three. And all my emotions kind of were depleted and like, you know, uh, tears of joy and, and also like suffering was all like depleted at mile 40 and by the time crossing the finish line I didn't even it, it it almost felt like I'd already crossed it back at like the 40 mile when I made that decision to get the race done um so I don't know if if uh if that related at all but that's what it almost reminded me of 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's part of what I like so much about that endurance racing is it's not just a start line and a finish line. Yeah. It's a start line. There's a lot of moments of truth and moments of realization and like really, um, really, really hard moments, but also like really, really good moments when you realize at 40 miles, like, no, I'm going to finish that Yeah, or this, you know? Um, I read, I heard somewhere like life is measured in like the extremity of emotions. Like Mm -hmm. you can't appreciate the good as much if you don't have as like the low lows allow for those. You need that duality. And I found that very much so in hundreds where you, I mean, you just have so much time and so much distance. I mean, any ultras really, you Mm -hmm. have so much time and so much distance to, really like hit those lows where you think like maybe you can't come back from it, but Mm -hmm. you do. And then it makes that coming back from it so much better. Um, yeah, I think it's a really, it is. It's always going to be a roller coaster ride of emotions, right? Yeah. With the, uh, the hundred miler. So obviously we know the distance hundred miles. You have the 24 hour. Is it a 24 hour time cap basically? No. Um, a lot of, they will, the time cap depends on how difficult the course is. Um, a lot of the, most mountain courses will be somewhere between like 30 to 36 hour time caps. There's typically like an extra, like a different metal or some kind of extra something for getting it sub 24 sub 24. is. I'm talking about like, for the, uh, the tough mutter specifically. Oh, sorry. Yes. For the tough mutter. Yes. It's 24 hours. So it's actually, it's a little over 24 hours. You have to okay. start your last lap by that 24th hour. Yeah. And then you have an hour and a half to complete it. So it's technically 25 and a half. Oh, okay. But that last lap has to start at 24 hours. Okay. And then within that format, like I said, so you have the 24, 25-ish hours. Uh, how are the obstacles kind of broken up into that? And I guess you don't have to recall all of them, but what, what are some of those obstacles that you had to go through? Um, it's a five-mile loop. And it's 20 obstacles per loop. Uh, they actually have uh, the first hour or maybe two. I think it's the first two hours. They have all the obstacles closed down. Mm. So you just run because they have like thousands of participants. I think the idea is to like get everybody a little spread out. Yeah. So for the first hour or two, all the obstacles are shut down and you're just running. Uh, then the obstacles start opening kind of on a rolling basis. So you can still miss a couple on the next couple laps. Mm. But um, your basic obstacles are... Um, there's basically, I don't even know what a lot of the names are, but you have to climb up this cargo net and there's this big slide that you have to slide down and you're landing in water. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a basically a concept of a warped wall, but it is very steep and slanted back to where, um, if they, like in their regular courses, they'll have a rope drop down and you can pull yourself up in this one. There's no rope. So you have to like rely on other people to pull you up. Um, there's a series, there's a couple of walls, there's, um, a couple of different rigs over water, um, you know, various hanging elements that you have to mm-hmm. uh, traverse across. Um, there's one where you have to climb like inside these tubes up this, up a cargo net with water pouring down on you, mm-hmm. climb up, and then you have to go down a cargo net. There's another point where you have to like actually swim through the water and go, like fully submerge yourself under some buoys. Um, there's a couple like mud pits. Um, there so with is... these obstacles, where do you feel like you have to be strongest with that? Like, is it, is it more, uh, muscular endurance or is it, you know, more back, more legs? Like, how are you approaching that? Um, it's definitely, uh, muscular endurance, but a lot of it is in the hands, grip and okay. upper body. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, all of like the challenging one. Well, really all of them you had, like, if you lose your grip, upper body, mm-hmm. you're going to have a hard time with all of them. Uh, so, so yeah, you, that would be the main. Do you mix in a lot of, you know, pull-ups, carries, deadlifts? 
Um, I do a lot of uh, basic body weight workouts like on a regular basis. So that's something I've never really focused on. But yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of, I do a lot of farmer's carries, pull-ups. Yeah. Um, I feel like those are two of the biggest things that help with that. That's what I've always told people is, yeah, people, you know, whenever people are concerned with either like growing their forearms or strengthening their forearms, I'm always like, I mean, you can do wrist curls all day, but it's kind of uh, monotonous and not as not as actually practical doing pull-ups or heavy carries or, or those things like that are definitely going to be more valuable. So when it comes to like training in general, we can take a step back, I guess, from all these particular events. How do you approach training? Because like you said, you're still in this process of even though you've been doing it for five years, um, especially if you've as you've gained this experience and uh, I've had a lot more success with it, how do you go about uh, structuring your program? I'm sure it changes throughout the year, but maybe some principles you go through. Uh, and I know you mentioned you do a lot of uh, body weight stuff. Do you mix in much, I guess, strength training at all? Or I guess, you know, take, take it away. Um, I try to run every day, yeah. um, at least a mile, typically about three miles every day. There's three runs that I try to hit within those runs. Like mm-hmm. I do a lot of just running just for time on feet and just cause I enjoy running. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to do a sprint workout, a, um, tempo, and then a long run. And I mm-hmm. try to hit each of those a week. That's what I do running wise. Um, as far as workouts go, it kind of varies. Um, I, back in Texas, the gym that I went to, we did a lot of functional fitness, kettlebell, body weight, sandbag, um, a lot of just like basic moving weight mm-hmm. in a, um, like in a, at like athletic way, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I've built a lot of like, uh, functional strength that way. Mm-hmm. Um, since moving here, I didn't really go to a gym all summer because I just spent time outside. Yeah. But now that it's winter time, I've been going to a, um, a gym here that's CrossFit, but not affiliated. So it's again, a lot of the functional fitness with a lot of cardio, um, and, uh, yeah, machines built into basic strength. So that's kind of what I always do is a basic level of, there has to be a strength element, but also a lot of like that conditioning where it's not like I'm never building up to a one rep max. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So it's not really any barbell movements, mostly kettlebells, body weight, and like, you know, like you said, more functional equipment like sandbags. At the gym I've been going to at the, at V23, Mm -hmm. like we do use a lot of barbells. So I'm learning a lot with that, but I like, that's not really something I would choose because I just don't think it's a very functional piece of equipment. Yeah. And the carryover isn't there for a lot of the stuff you do. But the strength element is there. And so I'm always willing to whatever that is. So you run every day basically with those kind of three workouts focused in throughout. And then how many days a week do you strength train? Uh, Four to five. Okay. And what's the recovery like for that? Anything you, uh, you, anything you, I guess, struggle with as far as, you know, days you're more sore or how you kind of spread out maybe a long day or a long run day separate from a, a more lower body focus workout, or I guess, how do you, how do you approach that? I feel like I just kind of want my, I try to eat and drink to fuel my body to be able to, um, both like sustain hard efforts and then mm-hmm. recover fairly well. So I would say that's kind of, um, I do in the past, I've done a lot more like mobility and stretching and basic, um, mm-hmm. like animal flows. I don't do as much of that anymore, but I think that's built a good base of durability in my body. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I would say the biggest thing I do is just drink a lot and eat yeah. a lot of good. So a lot of, lot of, yeah. A lot of fueling and I guess in, in intuitive mindset towards your body, right? Just knowing what works yeah. and when you need a day off and things like that. Yeah, uh, when it comes to high rocks, I guess you, so you said you compete those mostly in the spring and then I guess they have the championships right in the, in the summer. 
Yeah, right. End of spring, early summer. Okay. Yeah. And I guess, so do you do any of those specific movement? I, mean, I guess a lot of them, I, I remember talking to a lot of high-risk competitors, so I know, you know, a lot of the, the movements and things like that, but I guess, do you practice those movements specifically, or is that like another form of event where you just kind of build up good general fitness and then just hop in and see how it goes? I definitely specifically practice those okay. movements, like the weighted lunges, the wall balls, like yeah. those will get you fast if your body's are. not yeah. <laughs> somewhat ready for those. Um, that and the sleds, I think, are the yeah. biggest things that I have to work on. Um, when I first started doing these, and even now, like I'm not that great on the machines, so the machines yeah. is always something I'm working on, the skier and the rower. Um, but yeah, that's one that I... But at the same time, like all of those movements are very just functional movements, so yeah. I can mix them up into workouts in kind of any way I want, and the carryover is there. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, coming off a big year of success and I'm sure getting a lot more attention with, with the success through Instagram and things like that and other articles, I guess, how, how have you, so I guess what's your current way that you balance everything, right? Cause I, you know, I guess you could inform us, I guess, what do you do for work? But then obviously, especially with endurance sports, they take up a ton of time to, you know, implement all these different hours per day or whatever, especially spread out through a week of training these events and traveling. So I guess, how do you balance work life and training? And have you been able to kind of start, I guess, turn it to like a, a part-time hobby and make it more lucrative to, to pursue all these events? Um, it's definitely been a hobby always has been. And I say always will be, but sometimes I consider maybe like going, I don't know. Um, I work full time. I'm a nanny. Mm -hmm. Um, but I work Monday through Thursday. So I always okay. have Friday through Sunday to either go adventure in the mountains or to travel, which I did a lot of traveling this year. Mm. Um, I really like the balance of having a normal life at home. And mm. like, so I can, you know, I can race all weekend race for 24 hours, whatever it is, hop on a plane Sunday night and Monday morning I show up to work and I have like a very stable, regular routine. Um, it's pretty chill. Like it's a lot of work, but at the same time, it's not a lot. So yeah. uh, I find it's a perfect balance of like, I stay active during the summer. Um, I take the kids that I watch, I'll take them on hikes. I'll go running with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm able to do a lot kind of on my own schedule, but also, be working full-time, um, which I really like. Yeah. I think that the stress of basing my income or my support on results would kind of ruin it for me. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's not something that I'm really interested in. So yeah. um, within that, then like, um, I like, I'm a, I'm an early morning person. I like to get me up too. early. So especially during the summer, I'm struggling here in the winter, but we're trying yeah. uh, in the summer, I'll get up at three, go running, go to the gym, do everything mm -hmm. before I go to work at 830. And I love it. I love the like having that time to myself in the morning, mm -hmm. working all day and being able to go to bed early at night. Um, that's kind of my approach is I try to get in everything in the morning and try to get good sleep at night. I'm that a big morning person, too. I wonder if my reasons uh, align with yours as well. So my reasoning is I feel like when I wake up in the morning, one, I, I feel like I can just kind of start the day on a right note. I can get a lot of things done, I feel like, before everyone else wakes up, not because I'm, like, competing with them, but just because I can just almost have that alone time. And also, I feel like I'm most focused first thing in the day because later in the day, whether it's work or life or whatever, I can get distracted and so forth. But I kind of wake up with a, a, like, clean slate brain 
and I can I can focus on the task at hand. Is that does any of that align with how you view it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say I take it a little bit competitive. I like to <laughs> yeah. get everything done before other people do, but yeah. also just like the world in general. I just like to be up and moving yeah. and doing life like before everybody. I could care less about staying up late. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like, I don't, I'm like you were way, well, saying, like, yeah. I feel like my brain is done. Like my brain is yes. just ready to sleep. Um, yeah. And so I'm all about like giving it the rest it needs and then get up early. I found I really like being on the East Coast, further yeah. east where you're ahead of people on the West Coast. Like that's just very satisfying to me to be like, I've already like done my whole day and you're just not rolling out of bed. Like good luck. Yeah. I, I uh, definitely, uh, I've had a, I've had a shift from, so I grew up, uh, as I think I told you before in Virginia on the East coast and yeah, transitioning over here with, I, I do a lot of freelance work, um, for uh, real estate agents. And yeah, before I had this like big time advantage to where someone was in, you know, LA or something like that, I could get their work done. I feel like way earlier and it would work within the business hours and now switching over, it's definitely different. But, uh, but to your point about the evening, I don't care at all about because like I'll, I'll wake up 3:50 a.m. every morning, basically weekend or not, um, just for like I said, like con- enjoyment and just what I prefer. Go to bed at 7:50 to still get the eight hours, and it's that same deal where I feel like after four o'clock I'm useless. Like my brain is not going to be able to function either for work or, or exercise. Like I'm just not efficient, and anything done after like I feel like dark. You just, I don't know. I just feel like I'm more inclined to just like watch TV and do unproductive things. But in the morning, I just have all this energy and potential and excitement for the day, you know? Yeah. And I've wondered, like, I think, I mean, I think talking to different people, like some people are definitely just born that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some people are different. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad I was born that way. <laughs> <laughs> so heading into 2023 is, you know, it's still in January. It's a good time to talk about resolutions a little bit. What are some big, races or challenges that you're thinking about pursuing this year? Because uh, I know you've you've dabbled a little bit with uh, not not the the Barkley races themselves, but I think it was like a form of them. Uh, I don't know if you'd, you'd ever be interested in doing one of those uh, with Laz and such. Um, yes, definitely. I've done the Barkley Fall Classic twice. Um, that is a 50K-ish distance at the same park where the marathons are. Mm. And um, the male and female winner of that get a golden ticket to the Barkley Marathons. Um, The last time I did it was two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I got second. And so I am in for this next year. I would like to go back and win it. Um, The other, I would say two of the biggest races I'm doing, I'm doing a 200 miler for the first time. And then the Tahoe 200. That's what I figured. I feel like like it's usually that one or people look at, you know, the 250 Cocodona or, you know, and. I feel like there's another 200 or yeah. There's the Moab platform. 240. I think the Coca yeah, Moab is still, yeah. yeah. Moab 240 is a common one. Yeah. Um, I was say, yeah. Those are the popular like three 200s. Tahoe looked um, interesting to me. So I'm doing mm-hmm. Tahoe 200. Um, I'm doing an Ironman for the first time. I did a half Ironman lat or 2021. So that seems very and different. Have you done any cycling or swimming in the past or? I've done some biking uh, not a lot of swimming, which is why I've put off the full Ironman distance, but yeah. I'm ready now. I'm ready to do it. I'm going to do the one up in Idaho. So. It'd be kind of hard to feel like train. Well, I, I guess if you have time, uh, in the spring and summer, but right now, obviously there's no swimming in Denver. Uh, there's indoor pools. I have not. Oh, that's true. I, yeah. I yeah. I feel like it's actually kind <laughs> of a good winter activity. That's true. Um, that's true. 
I don't yeah, know why that slipped my mind. Obviously, I mean, open water is nice because it simulates the event a little bit more. But obviously, yeah. you can you can simulate everything. I mean, same with cycling, right? You could just get a bike and do a lot of the, you know, Zwift and different things like that to still get the training in. That makes yeah. sense. So those are kind of, I would say those are kind of the three big ones. Um, we'll see how High Rocks goes. And mm-hmm. then I'm always doing a couple hundreds. Um, Leadville again doing, or? I'm not in. I didn't get in on okay. the lottery and I didn't run a qualifier. Mm-hmm. Um I may just go crew or mm-hmm. I may go run a qualifier this summer. They have a 50 mile that you can qualify for. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to be back out there. I'd honestly be fine with just crewing and pacing, but I would also love to run it again. So we'll see. Yeah. I missed it this past year. I had like, we had just moved. It was like a couple of weeks before we got here. And then, so we were still like figuring things out and, I don't know. I think this next year, though, I'm going to I'm gonna try and make the drive. It's not too far from where I'm at in Colorado Springs. It's and, not far at all. It's yeah. by a bunch of 14ers. You can do 14ers. Oh, like, yeah. It's, I'll make yeah, it a whole trip. Yeah, there exactly. Exactly. Um, so where can people find you? Uh, mostly on Instagram every once in a while. I'm not very good at posting on there, but sometimes <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah, Instagram at Chris Roglowski, and that's probably it. That's the place. Awesome. That's well, thank place. you again for coming on. And if people have questions or definitely they should be checking you out and hit you with any questions they think of. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.